as I watch my life change and the people around me change, my, my wife and, and my kids and everyone in the church, you know, it's just fun to watch people pivot and turn from where they were, make mistakes, and then pivot and turn towards the Lord. Welcome to Biblical Counseling in Action. I'm Steve Byers, and this is a podcast that addresses questions like, how do these principles penetrate every facet of local church ministry? What does it look like when biblical counseling starts to impact the youth ministry, or our ladies' Bible studies, or our men's ministries, or the way leaders function together, or the way decisions are made in the church? And what does it look like in the lives of everyday church members who have been trained, or maybe who have been counseled, but now they're continuing to live out these principles in everyday life? That's what this podcast is all about. Welcome back to Biblical Counseling in Action. Today we're talking to Dr. Mark Bono, the senior anesthesiologist at IU Arnett Hospital in Lafayette, along with serving as a deacon at Faith Church and a, a leader of our men's ministries and a, a counselor at Faith Biblical Counseling Ministries. You know, Mark, I, I think by God's grace, you're a great example of biblical counseling in action. And you're serving in our counseling ministry, for which we're very thankful. But you've also had all sorts of other opportunities to apply these same principles to other areas of your life and work and ministries. So I just want to thank you for being willing to be with us today. Yeah, absolutely. I think it would be helpful to all of us and also glorifying to the Lord if you just start by telling us how and when you became a follower of Christ. Yeah, thanks, Steve, for having me. It was at the tender age of 49 <laughs> that I came to the Lord. And so for 48 years, I lived mostly for Mark. I lived for physical prowess. I went to the highest levels in martial arts. I'm a 10th degree black belt. Another thing that I lived for was money. I'm a highly paid cardiac anesthesiologist. And I also lived for pleasure. And what happened right around the age of my late 40s, is my body started to develop a lot of odd, undiagnosable symptoms, which took about four years and a battery of physicians and tests to figure out what it was. And ultimately, it culminated in a, a life-changing surgery back in 09 here up in Indiana. And so one of my many idols, which was my physical prowess, kind of fell. Mm. And I still have some remnants of that today that I uh, live with. And then at the same time, what was happening is I had a lot of employment difficulties. We had a difficult administration down in Florida where I came from and a lot of hirings and refirings. And on top of that, I was making a lot of unwise decisions financially, just you know, living within, but not really my means. And so when I moved up here, the net net of it was I lost about $2 million. And I moved to Indiana at the age of 47 with about $1,000 to my name after having worked for probably 15 years, Wow, 20 years as an anesthesiologist. So that was a hard idol mm. to fall. Wow. And then at the same time, while I provided for my family and I was there, I really wasn't there. So I didn't know the Bible. I didn't know the Lord. And so I didn't lead. And so, you know, I just wasn't there basically emotionally. And so my family... Started to have a lot of difficulties, my kids, and a lot of marriage pressures. And so ultimately, what happened was I was asked to teach a class in another church to 18 sixth grade boys. <laughs> and so they handed me a book, and I said, I'm not going to use that book. I'm going to use the Bible. So for the first time in my life, I picked up a Bible, and I started reading the Bible and um, teaching it, this class. And it was 
through my study of the Bible that I came to understand what grace meant, Mm -hmm. and that really changed my life. So in the bathroom in my pole barn (laughs) at the age of 49, I gave my life to the Lord because I just couldn't do all those things anymore. I was carrying too much of a burden, and it changed my life. Mm -hmm. And the last 11 years are just a living testimony to how God has changed my life and my family's life and everyone around us. Well, and you know, Mark, I think that story could be such a great encouragement to so many. And, you know, we prayed before we started this morning about who might listen to this recording someday. And, and I'm wondering about someone who may be in a very similar life situation and may have concluded, it's too late for me. I'm 49, I've made and lost a fortune, I'm on a path, there's no way to turn around. And your story shows that's not true. Yeah, when I was building my pole barn, one of the uh, concrete guys I worked with, he's a Christian, and I had just come to faith, and we were putting, I was the contractor for the house, and I subbed it out. And uh, we were walking through this field because I was showing him where I wanted this slab to be poured, and I told him what happened in my life. Mm. His name is uh, Tim Taylor, and he looked at me, and he said, that's, uh, that's really odd at that late of an age for that yeah. to happen. But, you know, the, the, the most amazing thing about God's grace is that, you know, we are known to make mistakes mm. uh, inherently yeah. in our nature is our sinful nature, and so that's why Christ came. Yeah, I'm also wondering about someone who may have a mark in their life. They might be married to a mark, or their son might be a mark, or they might have a coworker who was the way you were before you came to know the Lord, and they may have given up hope. And your story shows that we should never give up hope. We never know how and when a person is going to become a follower of Jesus Christ, and that should give us the motivation to live for the Lord each day and then see what he may choose to do with those that he's placed around us. It's fun. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, what intrigues me about this is, now that I know you, I have the privilege of serving as one of your pastors. You know, I look at the way that you serve in our church and in your job profession, it just surprises me that you didn't always believe in the sufficiency of Scripture. You didn't always believe in progressive sanctification. So, so I'm curious... What was it about those doctrines that were especially attractive to you after you became a follower of Christ? Well, my former life, I was an engineer, I have a PhD in chemical engineering, and so I think like an engineer, and whatever that means. And uh, so we all need a source of truth. In engineering, there's a lot of reference books, like the CRC for chemical engineering. So you go someplace for a source of truth, and so the Scriptures is that place. And the more I study you know, God's Word, these 66 books, you know, were written over 1,500 years by 40 unrelated guys, and it's all integrated. Like, Mm. how does that happen? There Mm. is no way anybody can convince me that this is not divinely inspired, every word, every letter. So that really landed the plane for my engineering thinking. And, you know, as I watch my life changed, and the people around me changed, my, my wife and, and my kids and everyone in the church. You know, it's just fun to watch people pivot and turn from where they were, make mistakes, and then pivot and turn towards the Lord and see a difference in how they talk, how they speak, how they act, and what they do with their resources. So that's what's attractive to me. That's fun to watch. So when there's a problem, when someone's struggling, like I start to smile a little bit because I know there's an opportunity there, and let's just see how the Lord's going to work. 
Yeah, that's very interesting that you have an engineering background, and a lot of people in our church, since we're located near Purdue University, a lot of people in our church have an engineering degree or have an engineering background, and it is interesting how both the sufficiency of Scripture and progressive sanctification have similarities, commonalities in that particular discipline, because you're right, an engineer better know what his source of truth is. Mm and a follower of Christ better know what our source of truth is. But engineering also often involves processes, and progressive sanctification is that. So it's a process. God doesn't expect perfection overnight. He expects us to be growing and changing and becoming more like Him. And I can see how that would be especially attractive to somebody who has the kind of background that you have. Yeah, the other beautiful thing is there's no crisis. So I love to remind myself of that and mm. others around me. Everything's been handled at the cross. And so now we just wait and see how this is going to play out. There's yeah. no emergencies. Very interesting. I bring an acorn with me in counseling that I keep in my bag. It's a pretty cool-looking acorn, and I'll lay it on the table and talk to the counselees about how, you know, this little acorn, if it falls beneath like a big concrete block, will over time eventually grow around this concrete block, grow into this ginormous oak tree, and, you know, what that process looks like. And it takes a lot of time. It takes storms. It takes wind, hmm. and the tree has to seek for deeper roots, you know, to stand firm. So you get this mighty oak tree at the end yeah. through this long process. Yep. And that's what progressive sanctification is. You know, a lot of what we're trying to accomplish in this podcast is to think about what does biblical counseling look like when it hits the streets, or what does it look like outside of the counseling room? So how does these same principles, how does it impact and inform the kind of work someone like you would do in your medical profession? So I think our listeners would be very interested to hear how does sufficiency of Scripture how does progressive sanctification, how do biblical counseling principles help a person like you in the workplace? So I have a lot of venues that I work in as a perioperative physician. The first is with the families of the patients who are coming for surgery. Yeah. So this is a situation where even if it's elective surgery, they don't really want to be there. And so there's a lot of dynamics in the room when I come in to assess families and patients. About 10 times a day I do this. So... There's sometimes struggles, and the patient, if it's an emergency situation, is in a, between a rock and a hard place. They're in a difficult physical stat, you know, health status. And so in those settings, I have a really unique opportunity to quickly, in probably five minutes, I have to figure out what's going on in the room. And then in many of those situations, I'm looking not just to the fact that the person is, you know, a body, but they're an embodied spirit, like it says in Scripture. And so... You know, what's going on in their spirit, because that really impacts what's going to end up and how this is going to play out for them and also for all their family members. So I'll look for a window of opportunity. Sometimes they're very scared. Sometimes they're really angry. Mm. And then to, you know, apply what I've learned in counseling. And there's always a way to kind of work in, hey, do you go to church anywhere, especially when they're talking about how afraid or scared they are? Yeah. And then that's the bait question that I'll ask. And then depending upon how they answer... We can go down the road. And I've had many opportunities where, you know, that then sparks a conversation. A lot of times we'll have young ladies or even young guys come in who are having different procedures with suicide attempts. And that's just a window. They're scared. They're alone. And they're really reaching for something. Do you go to church? No, I used to go to church. My grandmother went to church. And then I'll say, you know, if you're ever interested, there's a program that I know about that could really help you. In numerous times, I've hit the towel dispenser that dispenses the towels, mm. and that's where 
the number for Vision of Hope gets written on. I lay it on many, many times. That happens several times a week. So that's what the patients and families. And then in the operating room, the job I do is a second-by-second second job, literally. So things change over the course of five to ten seconds, and so I have to intercept that curve before it happens. Mm -hmm. And I work with a team of nurses and techs and surgeons. Surgeons are, they'll love this, technicians, and, uh, <laughs> and, they, and they'll admit to that. And so we're in charge of the patient and everything that's going on with the patient. So they'll defer to us, What should we keep going with the surgery? Should we stop the surgery? So sometimes in the OR, oftentimes, there's a lot of tense situations that can come up. Surgery. So you know, how do you respond in those circumstances? And in the past, I have a lot of God-given skills and gifts. I'm quick on my feet and quick with my hands, you know, I would force the curve to go where I wanted it to go. Um, before I was a Christian, now I don't smile for very long because I've got to move quick, mm. but I'll intervene in a way that with some comedic response, mm. I'm pretty funny, and that will break the tension in the room, letting everyone know that we got this and this is where we're going to go. And then that's an opportunity for people to come to me, hey, you know, that was really awesome the way you helped us break the tension in the room. And then there's windows of opportunity there to share right. why I'm responding differently. The other aspect that really hits me is we have patients come in the room who you say, this patient's going to die, mm. like an old, old patient, and they don't. Mm. And then we have patients come in the room, it's a young 20-year-old, whatever, and they die. Mm. And so what, it's just, this is a reminder to myself that, you know, what is that? And so it's comforting to me, and then I share this with others, that God is ultimately sovereign over all these things. Some of the young texts, like, we have a hot wash after a crazy event, like a mm -hmm. young person's dying. You know, what's happening here? And then, you know, we can share freely, and I share freely, you know, that God has a, I believe, because they're asking me, I'm the leader of the team there, that God has a sovereign plan, and there's a reason why this happened for this person. So, but in the OR and with the families, and even personally, there's a lot of opportunities to present the gospel. So, you know, I'm wondering about the person who might be listening to this and would say, well, you know, I don't need to receive biblical counseling training because I'm not planning to be a biblical counselor in some sort of a formal sense. But what you're saying is that that training can be profitable and beneficial for anyone in any situation, including a person who's involved on a surgical team and those same principles can come to life even in that kind of a setting. Is that true? Yeah, absolutely. The way I came to do the training was, to go back just briefly, when I came to faith in the Lord and when I came to faith church, I saw for the first time in my life 20-year-olds who understood God's grace, and I was 49. Hmm, yeah. And so that really hit me. And I was like, wow, could you imagine if I knew this back then? And I didn't. So that's what gave me the passion that still burns in me for men's ministry and reaching out to young men, you know, in, in that age group. And so I met with Joe Blake, the chairman of our deacons, years ago. And we were talking about that. And I was considering doing the training. And he said to me, he said, Mark, you're going to be sitting across from numerous numbers of men over the years, and the training will really help in many situations like this. Yeah. And the training is going to give you, you know, the tools and the better understanding of Scripture to help minister to these guys. And so when he's, he's absolutely right, he was dead on. So that has happened and continues to happen. And so I'm really thankful that I went through the training. It just helps even in my home and in many venues. I went out to a funeral in New York where I saw old family that I hadn't seen for years. So many opportunities just to apply 
what Scripture says about why we're here and where we're going that is helpful to folks. Yeah, and I should probably explain to anybody who's listening for the first time and hearing you say the training. It's funny, around here we have just nomenclature that we're used to. If that doesn't make sense to you, by God's grace, we've had a community-based biblical counseling center here for 45 years, started by my predecessor, Bill Good, and another physician, Dr. Bob Smith, who is a, was a dear, dear man. And um, they not only started a counseling center, but they also started a training center. They, they believed in stewardship, and they believed that whatever God had entrusted to us, we had the privilege and the responsibility to share that with other churches, with other Christian leaders, with other laypersons. And so now, all these years later, we have six different tracks of training. And so people can go online if they would like to learn more about that at faithlafayette.org conferences. And it's available virtually, it's available in person. We're trying to just get that truth out. It's really interesting, the percentage of men and women from our church family who have received that training. And maybe many of them are not going to formally counsel, but they're using it as parents, they're using it as friends, they're using it in all sorts of ministry endeavors, and that's what you've seen in your heart and life. Yeah. Both my older kids have gone through it or are going through it now. Yeah, we found over the years that oftentimes in the latter high school years is when some young people begin to express an interest. And so since we offer it in the summer, for example, young people will go through, or college students will do it. I think it's a great thing for college students to do. So yeah, I'm very, very thankful that you chose to, as a busy man, take the time to receive that training. Let's talk about the fact that you're also willing to come and serve on our Counseling Center staff on Mondays. And so every Monday we open the Counseling Center to our community from a variety of locations around town. And we have about 32 uh, women and men on that staff, and, and they counsel three or four hours each on Mondays. And so I don't know, it's somewhere between 60 and 80 hours of counseling that's available to just not the people from our church. We do that at other times. This is the people from our community, and you're willing to serve on that staff. So you come apart from your busy medical career and everything else you have going on. Can you tell our listeners why you're willing to invest that time Monday after Monday after Monday? Oh, that's easy. So I do that on Mondays, and on Tuesdays I go out to Restoration, our men's program, and teach out there. You know, I'm 60 now. That's a hard thing to say. (laughs) It's something different about 59 to 60. And so, you know, I have long days at work. I get up early. Anesthesia's like hitting the ground at 6.30 in the morning. So I get up real early. And at the end of the day, you know, I'm tired sometimes, and I run a small farm. And so on Mondays when I'm going to come out here or on Tuesdays when I'm going to go out to restoration, I'm a little cranky. And so, but I ride out there, you know, just reminding myself of why I'm going out there, which is because of what the Lord's done in my life and I'm still breathing. So I'm going. Amen. So the amazing thing, and it happens every Monday and Tuesday, you know, on my way there, I'm this cranky old New Yorker. And then on the way back, I'm just like elated. It's like, so thankful I went out there. So it just changes me. And it's helpful to me. And when I go home, we're doing devos. I don't care how tight anyone is. And so it just really encourages me to watch how, you know, the truths from Scripture can impact or, you know, encourage or convict people, get people to thinking about what they're doing with their lives. So on the way back, it's refreshment for my soul, you know, as I'm driving back home. 
Yeah, you know, I've had the privilege of serving at Faith for 34 years, and so I've been involved in the counseling ministry all those years. And I just started a new case this past Monday, a dear elderly couple. And I walked away from that conversation thinking, there's really nothing else I would have rather done with that hour than try to serve. They were suffering in some rather significant ways, and just trying to be the hands and feet of Jesus to those dear people. And, you know, we all have to decide how we're going to spend our time, but it really, it's hard work, but it's also an honor and a privilege to be able to serve that way, isn't it? And it gets people to ask why. Yeah. You know, so, or even in my house, you know, oh, dad's taking this two hours to go down there, you know, why is he doing that? So it pricks the conscience. Yeah. Let's pivot around to men's ministries. You also provide leadership in that. And so how important is it for someone to have biblical counseling training in their background if they're going to be effective in men's ministry? What, what's the connection? Well, I mean, you know, guys are guys. And so it's help. I'm an old callous New Yorker and God changed me and has given me the understanding of what grace is, right? That's what I mentioned in my testimony. And so when I'm interacting with all sorts of guys say, when we have our breakfast and we have a couple of hundred guys there, you got quite a diverse group of personalities there. And uh, it's just helpful in that setting and in all settings in the men's ministry to remind myself that each person is, if they're a Christian, they're a saint, you know, they're a sinner and they're a sufferer. And so the training slows me down to look at who's in front of me and what they're really saying. You know, are they struggling? Are they hopeful? Are they not? And then that helps me direct the conversation. Mm. And it's just fun to see it play out. Yeah, and this gets at what we mean by the difference of a church having a counseling center and a church being a counseling center. And, and I'm so glad that the leaders of our women's ministries have received a thorough training in biblical counseling. You and those that you work with in men's ministries have received thorough training in biblical counseling principles. And so... There's a sense in which counseling isn't just a one-hour-a-week thing in a small silo of our ministry, but it's playing out over and over and over in all sorts of ways. And so we're getting ready to fire up our men's ministries again this fall, and so we'll have a, a great opportunity here in just a couple of weeks. Well, what is that? Well, there's a sense in which it's a mass counseling session, isn't it? I mean, I have the privilege of speaking in this first one that we're doing, and so it's a counseling session for a couple of hundred men, but what I anticipate happening is that will foster some additional conversations, one-on-one or two-on-one or whatever, that become more like formal counseling, but it's all going to fit together. So it's not like I'm saying one thing in a bigger group, and then the counselor is going to say something entirely different. No, and I think that's how disciple-making works best, is if there's a consistent message from the pulpit, there's a consistent message from the various small group ministries, and then there's a consistent message in the counseling room. When it all fits together, because everybody's on the same philosophical page, that's when disciples can be made by the grace of God. It happens all the time at the larger settings, talking with men, and then accountability and such comes up. And I've had many guys join our point man group coming out of that, saying, hey, what more can I do? And how more can I get plugged in and how more can I understand how to get accountability and so forth? So it's just a, it's many roots digging into the ground. Yeah. So let's say that there's a physician listening to this right now. He or she is very, very busy. And what advice would you have to give them regarding biblical counseling training? Well, I would encourage it because of the job that we do and where we work, 
and typically in medicine, you focus on the science, you know, and the pharmacology, and that's one half of the equation. You're missing the whole other half, wow. 50%. And so if they're a believer, you know, I'd encourage like having them sit in on a case and watch, you know, how God's word ministers to the soul in all different body states. You know, I think that, you know, even sending them to one of our tracks, like when I went to track one years ago, it was for me that I went and how helpful that was in my family and then also in how I started to function at work. I think you want, you know, a physician who kind of drives an old beat up truck (laughs) and maybe, you know, the guy who's driving the the latest, you know, electronic vehicle or something is a guy to to reach out to for evangelism. But uh, the guys who are driving the old beat up trucks, and there's a lot of them, I think would really be impactful to reach out to. So there's a, a pastor listening to this, and he would love to have uh, Mark Bono in his church. And what would you say to that guy? What steps would you encourage him to take? Well, if it's a pastor, you know, with an earshot of this, I would encourage them to reach out here because we have so many venues and resources and ways to understand what it's, you know, what training is about. And like I said, there's several, there's several old physicians that I work with, older than me, that I work with who are believers and have a lot of different platforms in their life. And so I know they go to church, and I don't know all the churches that they attend, but for those pastors, say, you know, to plug in here, even if it's through the 11 Mondays would be, you know, not feasible, but through the tracks that we have online, or even the once a week. When we're picking our vacations every year, the first week I pick is our BCTC conference so that I have that locked in. We pick a year in advance for the anesthesia department. So I have that locked in. So that's an easy thing to line up, and it just will start the ball rolling. Because once you get an understanding of how God's Word actually works, you know, wheels on the ground, I mean, you just want more if you're a thinker. Well, and you think about the history of faith, Bill Good longed for and prayed for and worked toward having a physician as part of the counseling team. Bob Smith and Bill Good worked hand in hand, but Pastor Good fostered that relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bob Smith was a busy guy, and so he fostered that relationship. And look at it now, 45 years later, look at what God has chosen to do. And I do think for a pastor to reach out to a physician either in his congregation or in community and say, hey, there's a a training conference in Lafayette, Indiana, of all places, in February. Let's go together, and let's see if there's something here. Or, you know, if that doesn't work, there's a lot of great biblical counseling centers now that are offering training in all sorts of packages. There's virtual training, et cetera, et cetera. But that could be transformational for that church. It could be transformational for that community for a pastor to take that kind of initiative and, you know, for the pastor to say, well, they'll just say no. Well, I know they're not going to say yes if you don't ask them. And so why not try and see what the Holy Spirit might do? Well, hey, Dr. Bono, I'm so glad. I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for your family. Our church family is just so appreciative of the way God is using you. And our prayer is that God's going to raise up others just like you here in our town and around the world. So if you're listening to this today and you're just wondering, wow, what is the next step? I really would encourage you to jump online at faithlafayette.org slash conferences. Take a look at the different ways this training is available. And I hope we've taken a pretty hard shot today at the myth 
that well that counseling thing that's just for those who want to formally counsel in a church no it's for anybody who's interested in disciple making and that's what christ has called us to do thanks steve you can check out more about our ministry at faithlafayette.org or if you're interested in receiving biblical counseling training go to faithlafayette.org conferences you can find these presentations wherever you normally access your podcasts and you could really help us just to get the word out by telling your friends on social media that these presentations are going to be available. Now, our hope and our prayer is that this podcast honors the Lord and is a blessing to you.